0: Hello and welcome to the podcast that helps you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Our greatest mission as Christ following men is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And it might just be that staying focused on this, our highest mission priority, is the best thing we could do during this coronavirus crisis so that we are the rock of spiritual strength that others need to lean on during the battle with COVID-19. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 20 of Mission-Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. In our last episode, we considered some ways to lead our homes during this coronavirus crisis, including caring for the emotional needs of our wives by helping them process their feelings and strongly partnering with them on the home front to address our children's fears, to help carry the extra pressures of having the kids home all day, and to lead our family to love our neighbors well during the crisis, especially the elderly. I might add we also should be especially reaching out to those who are single and therefore at home by themselves. Last time, we also saw how, in my view, good home leadership requires us to refute the argument that might erode our children's faith, that a good God would never allow the coronavirus. I suggested that our leadership should also seek the opportunity to have conversations with the lost, listening to them well. But if asked, how could God allow the coronavirus, saying, I don't know. But my faith has been helpful, giving me both God's personal comfort and confidence about the future. Let me tell you why I believe today's episode is so important. As the world continues through the coronavirus pandemic, you need to be the one in your home from whom spiritual strength and confidence emanate. The pillar of faith that those around you need. Your spiritual strength flows directly from the strength of your love relationship with God. And our love for God can only grow as we discover more and more of who he is, what we call the perfections of God. Today, we look at one of those perfections, God's majesty. Again, let me say the more we see God's nature, his perfections, the more deeply we can love and enjoy him. Here are a few texts where majesty is ascribed to God. Psalm 8:1. O Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 93:1. The Lord reigns; he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed; he has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established; it shall never be moved. Psalm 104:1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Psalm 145, 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Let's do that. Let's meditate. Let's try to get a concrete picture of the word majesty. J.I. Packer writes, the word majesty comes from Latin. It means greatness. When we ascribe majesty to someone, we are acknowledging greatness in that person and voicing our respect for it. As, for instance, when we speak of her majesty, the queen. The majesty of God reminds us that God is our king and sovereign the one to whom we owe allegiance. He is the ruler. I am the subject. I am on planet Earth for his glory, which also just happens to be exactly what is to my eternal benefit. He is not the great Amazon in the sky, just awaiting our orders for blessings sent to him through prayer. We're here to please him. To celebrate God's majesty is to rekindle fierce allegiance, unrivaled loyalty to the high king. We offer that allegiance not because he demands it, though he could, but because he is worthy of it. Being a king who first dies for his subjects out of love for them and then calls them to die to themselves for him. Now, besides signifying God's royalty, ascribing majesty to him is to celebrate his greatness. Going back to Packer, he writes, The word majesty, when applied to God, is always a declaration of his greatness and an invitation to worship. The same is true when the Bible speaks of God being on high and in heaven. The thought here is not that God is far distant from us in space— but that he is far above us in greatness, and therefore is to be adored. The Christian's instincts of trust and worship are stimulated very powerfully by knowledge of the greatness of God. Now, here's the best summary of God's greatness probably ever written, apart from Scripture itself. It's from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Way more than we can digest, but it's worth just reading it. There is but one living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or human passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty. Most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will. How's that for some late reading during the coronavirus? We are given the staggering privilege of knowing the greatest, most wonderful being in the universe. How can we be called to know him, love him, honor him, serve him, and respond with half-hearted devotion? Such a great God is deserving of great love and devotion and adoration. How can anyone know this God and have the defining word for their devotion to him be Mediocrity. Well, the answer, which I see in myself, may be that deep in our soul, we only want $3 worth of God, not all of him. A lukewarm commitment to Christ says, I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a Muslim or make me give so generously to one in need that I threaten my own financial security. I want comfort, not transformation. I don't want enough of God to make me surrender my life to him. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. When you see God's majesty, you can't want only $3 of him. To celebrate God's majesty is to celebrate his greatness. You can't see that greatness and remain complacent. So let's try to see it. The biblical authors understood that one of the best ways to start to grasp God's greatness is to compare him with powers and forces in this world that we regard as great. In Isaiah forty twelve through thirty one, we see four ways that God's greatness dwarfs all other greatness. First, the greatness of God's knowledge and wisdom, from Isaiah forty verse twelve and following: Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? There's a human arrogance that demands the right to understand what God is doing in our lives, especially when we don't like it. I'm not saying to suppress our doubts about God's treatment of us being good. We should not bury those feelings, but process them with God as Job did. But in the end, we will have to admit that our finite mind simply can't grasp any good purpose for some things God does. In the end of the story of Job, the last chapter, he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Again, never hesitate to take your feelings of God's mistreatment of you to him. He's big enough to handle your accusations. And I believe you must process those feelings with God to move beyond them. But know at the same time that it is profoundly arrogant for us as humans to sit in judgment upon God. Why would we think our puny little minds could understand his eternal purposes? Besides addressing the greatness of God's wisdom and knowledge, Isaiah 40 addresses the greatness of God's control. Verse 15 and then 21 through 24. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands, like fine dust. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows them off and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. I'm sure that Bible-believing Christians have stressed many, many times in the past weeks that God is sovereign over COVID-19. Nevertheless, it is reassuring to hear again that God is in complete control. And the one who has that control is worthy of being trusted with every ounce of his power. A few years ago, Steve Green got it right in his song, God and God Alone. He sang, God and God Alone created all these things we call our own. From the mighty to the small, the glory. In them all is God's and God's alone. God and God alone reveals the truth of all we call unknown. And the best and worst of man won't change the master's plan. It's God's and God's alone. God and God alone is fit to take the universe's throne. Let everything that lives reserve its truest praise for God and God alone God and God alone will be the joy of our eternal home He will be our one desire our hearts will never tire of God and God alone God and God alone is fit to take the universe's throne Let everything that lives reserve its truest praise for God and God alone Besides the greatness of God's control, Isaiah 40 continues with the greatness of God's power. God continues to speak through Isaiah, asking his people to gaze up to the heavens and behold one who keeps the stars in their place and the planets rotating around the sun by his sheer might. Verse 25, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God precisely places the planets and stars of the universe where he wants them by his power. The Institute for Creation Research points out strong evidence of the precision of the design of the universe. For example, they write, the Earth's axis of rotation is tilted 23.5 degrees relative to the perpendicular of the Earth's planet of orbit. This tilt causes the four seasons. But what would be the effect if the Earth had double the present tilt? Temperature extremes between seasons would be much more pronounced. Even the mid-latitudes would have unbearable heat in the summer and frigid cold in the winter. Most of Europe and North America would experience very prolonged darkness in the winter and very prolonged daylight in the summer. Life on most of the Earth's surface would become intolerable. The Earth rotates once every 24 hours, producing the interval of time called day. If the Earth rotated more slowly, we would have more extreme day and night temperatures, Other planets have days which are many times that of the Earth, producing scorching daytime heat followed by freezing nighttime cold. The normal daily routine of plants and animals would be impossible if the Earth day were much shorter than that of the present. The 24-hour day seems to be optimum, serving to evenly heat the Earth somewhat like a turkey turning on a barbecue spit. Thus, we could hardly improve on the present arrangement of tilt and rotation, which seems to be planned for both comfort and economy. Our present tilt causes seasons with associated fluctuations in weather, producing a maximum amount of farmable land and pleasant seasons. The present rotation of the earth helps to uniformly heat its surface, and cause winds and ocean currents. God's power to precisely control the planets and stars is the same power that controls the spread of the coronavirus and the circumstances of our lives. God's greatness is reason to fall down and worship His majesty. Besides pointing to God's power, Isaiah 40 continues pointing to the greatness of God to supply us with the strength that we need. Verse 28 Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So what does it mean to wait upon the Lord? It means to quietly lean into God all the way, trusting him because he is a very great God. So celebrate God's majesty today. His vision is not too dim to guide you. His grip on your life is not so tenuous that he will drop you. His power is not too puny to protect you. His arm is not too short to strengthen you. His love for you is not so weak that he will ignore you. And the more you celebrate his majesty, the more your love for him will grow. And the more others will be able to lean on you for strength. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. To summarize, this episode attempts to help us take some steps to accomplishing the top priority of our mission, loving God well. By strengthening our love relationship with Christ, we become the man of spiritual strength that those around us can lean on. Our love for God grows the more we get to know Him, and so today we looked at God's majesty. God's majesty reminds us that He is the High King, and what a privilege it is to know and serve Him as His subjects. God's majesty also points to His greatness. We study parts of Isaiah 40 where God reveals the greatness of, one, His wisdom and knowledge, two, His control over the events of the world. Three, his sheer might. Four, his ability to strengthen us. Such a great God is deserving of great worship and love. For further prayerful thought, number one, take a few moments and in your own way, worship God for his majesty. Thank and praise him for his greatness. Number two, You might answer the question, why is wanting only $3 worth of God, that is being lukewarm in our passion for God, so inappropriate, so wrong? Number three, when the circumstances of my life get a little harder and I find myself mad at God, I feel like I'm like a little boy at the grocery store throwing a temper tantrum because his mom won't buy him the candy bar he wants. How would understanding God's majesty better make my heart more content. Next week, we continue our series entitled Knowing God Helps Me Love Him More. We're going to examine another one of God's attributes, another very attractive perfection of God that is revealed to us in His Son. For further information about our ministry, go to ForgingBonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission to honor Christ with their lives.